Side 8 The cloaked man was shouting and pointing back along the trail, with occasional poisonous looks at Kin. Lothar's replies were distant and monosyllabic, until he reached over and in one movement grabbed the priest by the front of his robe and almost lifted him off his horse. He snarled a sentence and spat a full stop. The other man went white, out of either fury or fear. This is exceptionally interesting, said Silver. Kin thought she could also hear a babble of high-pitched Latin in the background. Is the waiter badly damaged? said Kin. Not badly. It can be repaired. Another centimetre and the sword would have hit the five thousand kilovolt line. Marco, it is essential he does not faint again. The party left the forest and headed hubwards by Kin's estimation, on a track that ran alternately between stretches of half-cultivated ground and marshes. The smoke pillar loomed, dominating the sky. Its tip was now made ragged by high-altitude winds. Soon they met a straggle of people coming the other way. They ran off the track when they saw Lothar's band, but he wheeled after them and one man was caught. He was brought before Lothar, struggling and gasping out answers to the questions that were grunted at him. Silver, said Kin, how do you say I'm nearly freezing to death? Silver translated. Kin tapped Lothar on the shoulder and repeated the phrase as best she could. He turned in the saddle and stared at her in astonishment, before unfastening the heavy brooch that held his cloak. Kin wrapped the heavy and odorous cloth around her. There was a comment, almost inaudible, from the senior priest. "'He said soon you will both be warmed by the fires of hell,' murmured Silver helpfully. "'Great! I've only been here a few hours, and already I've made friends.' "'Listen carefully. Your party contains priests of the Christ-Creator religion. They are heading towards the smoke column in the belief that it is a sign that the Christ has returned.' Lothar, however, is a minor noble with a line in brigandage and part-time looting. According to our informant, he is a son of Saitan. Saitan has a lot of relatives in these parts, said Kin. It is a strange religion. Everyone is evil until proved holy. Our informant says the priests met up with Lothar on the road, and they banded together for mutual protection. But this liaison is likely to end at any moment. Are you telling me that Lothar's god is returning, and he's thinking of nothing but pillage? Probably rape and murder as well, said Silver. You are heading for a holy house for the night. We will endeavour to rescue you then. Now I must sign off for the moment. I've got an injured man to attend to. I'll say this for these Christers. They're brave. This one hit out at Marco. Picture the result. Dead? I persuaded Marco that the man was more useful alive. He just broke both his arms. In the early evening they came to a town of thatched houses surrounding what Silver identified as a religious foundation. The muddy streets were thick with people and carts. The party got through only after Lothar sent men ahead to clear a path with the flats, and sometimes the points, of their swords. There were noisy crowds around the holy buildings, dressed in the main in drab and holy colours. The senior priest was greeted effusively, even frantically, and helped to dismount. Lothar watched impassively. Looking round, Kin saw that his men had fanned out among the crowd with drawn bows, sometimes glancing at the sky. The senior priest, identified by Silver as Otto, spoke sharply to a holy man. He ran off and returned a few minutes later, at a respectful distance in front of one who, to judge by the way the crowd parted for him, was even holier. 
He was tubby and red-eyed, as if he hadn't slept for some time. Over the standard robe he wore a red cloak with patterns in gold thread, now crusted with dirt. He listened gravely as Otto spoke. Then he walked over to Lothar's horse and peered at Kin. Finally he reached out and pinched her sharply on the thigh. In the circumstances she decided against any action. Lothar dismounted and fell on one knee in front of the priest, one hand on his heart. He spoke eloquently. To Kin he sounded like a salesman. She tried to raise silver. I can be of little help, the Shand reported. Latin is a ceremonial language, like a religious all-speak. This is one of the early German tongues, I think. The fat man is possibly the local bishop, and this is a trial. What appears to be at stake is whether Lothar keeps you or hands you over. What about the heroic rescue? It's wearying, you know, constantly being tensed up, waiting for one's friends to plummet out of the sky with lasers blazing. I had intended using your stunner, but it was not in your suit, said Silver. No doubt you lost it on the floating island. Plan B also will not work. Marco intended to swoop down wearing two belts to carry you off, but Lothar's men maintain a constant sky-watch. Or dragons, do you think? What's plan C, then? There was a sigh. Marco intends to land and hack and slash at everyone. That's a good plan, said Kin. He is mad. The Norsemen have a term, berserker. It was designed for Marco. Lothar stopped speaking. The bishop looked down at him, then up at Kin. He beckoned. After a few seconds, she slid off the horse's back, the cloak slipping from her as she landed. There was a rustle of voices from the crowd. The bishop nodded and waddled off, beckoning Kin to follow him. The crowd pressed in silently behind her. They went between the holy buildings to a stamped earth yard, full of long shadows in the sinking sunlight. Part of the yard was roofed. Under the roof were bars. "'I'm about to be locked up, Silver,' she hissed. "'Where the hell are you?' "'A wooded eminence outside the town.' The bars do not look alarmingly thick. They may trust to them to guard you. Silver, how can you see the bars? Marco is behind you in the crowd. He is giving me eyewitness reports. Do not look for him. The bishop stopped by the middle cage and swung open the door. When Kin stopped, there was a gentle prod of a sword in her back. She stepped in. The lock was primitive but big. The bars did not look alarmingly thick, according to Silver. They were six-inch posts. What was normally kept there that needed six-inch-thick bars? They left her sitting in the dirt and walked away. After a while, the last of the crowd left the compound, leaving a group of bowmen who spread out, watching the sky. Presently a man brought her a bowl of scraps, dropped them within her reach, and bolted. A few stars lit up. Beyond the compound's walls came the rattle of carts and many shouts. "'Silver?' she said querulously. There was a heart-stopping pause before the reply came back. Ah, Kin, I am now better informed. Your precise status is still to be determined. Your friend Lothar has at least saved you from arbitrary execution. I have also learned more about the current disk situation. Would you be interested in hearing it? We will not collect you until it is fully dark. I doubt if those bowmen can better Marco's excellent night vision. Go ahead and amuse me said Kin, wrinkling her nose over the food bowl. It could make me sick, she decided. It looks as though it's already done so to someone else. This is all exceptionally interesting, said Silver. There is no doubt among the populace that this is either the return of the Christ or the end of the disc, or both. 
fires are raging, our ship, you understand, there have been strange signs in the sky. The town is divided between travellers hastening to the advent and those fleeing from it. Kin listened to the cries outside. What are they fleeing for? she asked. He's a very choosy god. How did you find out about this? There was a pause. At last Silver said, Promise me that if we get back home you won't reveal the information-gathering system we, um, evolved. I could be subject to severe disciplinary action from the All-Planet Committee on Anthropological Research Procedures. My lips are sealed, promised Kin. Marco slugs a likely-looking subject, flies him over here, and knocks the shit out of him until I've heard enough. Kin grinned. It's not like drawing circles in the sand, is it? Much more efficient, though. There was a commotion at the entrance to the compound. In the half-light, Kin saw a knot of men approaching, surrounding a taller shape that moved across the ground in hops. When it drew nearer the cages, Kin saw that it was roughly man-shaped, but at least three metres high. Once it reared and spread a pair of dark wings the size of sheets. One of the men darted forward. The tall shape whimpered and cowered. Kin, pressed against the bars, got an impression of scales and pectoral muscles like barrels. She jumped back as the door of the neighbouring cage was opened and the thing prodded inside. She saw a stubby-horned head and glowing green eyes that narrowed when they saw her. The door slammed shut, and the men retreated quickly. The creature grunted, gave the door an experimental shake, went and sat down in the far corner of the cage with its arms around its knees. The men returned, and they were carrying a small, struggling body. Kin made out the shape of a creature like the one she had seen on the hilltop, part human, part animal, part insect. It whistled shrilly as it was carried. As one of the men let go to reopen the cage door, it screeched and raked his chest with a claw. When he fell back it wriggled free, kicked another man in the stomach with a small hoof, and sank its teeth into a third man's arm before it was grabbed. The man who had been clawed stood up silently and landed a swinging blow that crunched when it hit, like the crushing of beetles. It landed in a heap inside the cage and lay still. The men retreated but did not leave the area. After a while a watchman's fire sprang up. Kin called up Silver. "'They are staying,' she said. "'There must be ten of them now. Marco will never get in.' "'I think the guard is for the benefit of your friend in the next cell,' said Silver. "'Marco has a plan, though. Two plans, in fact. If the first doesn't work, he proposes to explode the waiter's power-pack.' Kin thought about it. "'That would kill us all,' she said, "'and leave a crater about a mile across.' "'Quite so. But we would have won.' There had never been a Man-Kung war, just a few early skirmishes now diplomatically forgotten. Kung had no concept of conquest, mercy, prisoners, or rules. Marco was tainted with human ideas, but... Is he serious? I think he is frightened almost to death. The big winged creature was watching Kin. She was aware of two pale lights in the gloom. I have my own plan, said Silver. Oh, good! I like listening to plans. I have compiled a speech. When a priest next approaches you, you will recite it to him. You are an Ethiopian princess, left stranded in this country when your party was attacked by robbers. You demand to be released. You are a devout Christer, by the way. So is your father, who is a king, and who will be angry in very physical ways when he hears about this treatment. 
It sounds a bit contrived, said Kin. She was watching the giant in the next cell, three metres high. What did it use for ankle bones? Kin Arad, said the winged demon. She stared. Nothing had moved. The creature was still slumped against the bars, watching her. When he spoke again, Kin couldn't be sure in the dim light, but the lip movements didn't seem to coincide with the sound she heard, as if something was being badly dubbed. I am Kin Arad, she said. What is your dominion? said the demon in perfect allspeak. I don't know what you mean. I am Spandor of the dominion of Aglierap. I cannot determine your dominion or place. It seems to be speaking Shandy, said Silver. Speak. Are we partners in adversity? I hear it in all speak, said Kin urgently. I think it's using some kind of direct mind stimulation. Its lips aren't moving properly. Do not mumble. Do you think I do not know of the creatures to whom you talk by the power of the lightning? The thinking bear and the upright frog with four arms? And the mechanical device that prepares food beyond the powers of Huictigararas? Are you reading my mind? Of course I am, you stupid bitch. But it is difficult. You are of this world, yet not of this world. Neither are you of the Brotherhood of the Damned, yet the Praying Ones have captured you. Keep it talking, said Silver. The Christers think I am a water sprite, said Kin. Sprites cannot speak, and are of low intelligence, as everyone knows. They are like this thing. Svandor kicked out and managed to hit the wheezing fawn with a curved toenail. It whimpered. It's injured, said Kin. Can we do anything to help it? Why should we? It barely knows it is alive. Elves breed like flies in the woods. You think they make nice music, but it is as a cricket chirps, mindlessly. I gather you had something to do with the explosion that knocked me out of the air three days ago. Er, uh, yes, Kin thought quickly. There was a flying chariot, you see. A three-thousand-ton starship, Svandor agreed, impacting at four hundred miles an hour. Do you know what those words mean? No, but they were at the forefront of your mind. The shock waves knocked me out of the air, and some Christers reached me and bound me before I could rise. But if I had my freedom, I would tear their ears off. It must be vat-grown, thought Kin. Nothing like that could have evolved naturally. If those wings worked, it would have to be very light, bird-boned. She would have to ask it questions later. I want to escape, she said. Silver? There was no answer from the earpiece. I likewise. It is unfortunately impossible. Tomorrow we shall be brought before the bishop's court. I shall certainly be executed. Will they waste time with a court when they think their god is coming? All the more reason to be seen going about what they consider to be his business, Ken Arad. What will they execute you for? I am Svandor. I spread arthritis, the bone ache and ague of the neck. I blight crops and cause abortion in cattle. They say I foul streams and hurl the lightning stone. And do you do all that? I suppose so. 
I certainly always intend to. Kin glanced towards the fire. The men had spread out, and she could just see them outlined against the last stains of sunset, watching the sky. They think my brothers will try to rescue me, said Svandor. Fat chance. A holy man entered the compound with a tray of food. Kin watched him absently. One of the guards sauntered over to the priest and took a bowl of the tray. He had his back to Kin, who saw him stiffen, drop the bowl and slump down. A third hand had shot out of the robe holding a sword. Some of the others came running after hearing the priest's anguished cry, and the fallen man was lost to sight as his fellows gathered around. There was an explosion of flesh. Two men staggered back, and two, a little faster, turned to run and slid along the ground with knives in their backs. Laughing like a hyena, Marco leapt bare-handed at the others. The few seconds of astonishment they experienced helped him, and he worked through them with a mixture of kung jitsu and blind destruction, while arrows from the men who had the sense to stay out of it hissed around him. Svandor giggled. Marco screeched a kung battle cry and stalked towards the nearest archer, glistening in the firelight. The man fired one arrow which hit him fairly in the chest, rocking him back on his heels for a moment. Then he walked on. The archer was still staring when two hands grabbed him by the throat and two more swung up in a gristle-cleaving arc. As one man the surviving guards dropped their weapons and ran for the compound entrance. "'Marco!' shouted Kin. "'Keys! Find the keys!' Marco glared at her stupidly, then looked up. A white shape dropped out of the night, towing the familiar form of the dumb waiter behind her. Silver landed lightly. Behind her, Marco wrenched the arrow from his chest and looked at it absently. "'Neat!' commented Svandor with interest. The Shand examined the cage closely. "'I do not like to damage private property,' she said, "'but speed is of the essence.' She stepped back a few paces and hit the bars at a dead run. As Kin jumped over the debris, the Shand nodded towards Svandor. "'What about that?' she said. "'I plead,' said the demon. "'Let him out,' said Kin, taking her suit and stepping into the lift belt. "'Right now I'd just love him to spread bubonic plague or whatever it is he spreads.' "'Does he do that?' said Silver. "'The ancients always said demons spread disease.' "'This one is a mobile disaster area,' said Kin. "'Is it wise to let him loose, then?' We might learn a lot from him. If you've got any scruples, remember Marco's just killed half a dozen men, and you've been involved in the molestation of research subjects. Silver considered this. True, she said, and splintered the bars with a backhand swipe. If we're baddies, let's be bad. Marco stepped forward with two knives levelled to throw as the demon wriggled through the gap. There was a smear of pink blood around his wound. Would it have helped the dead archer to know that a kung in a fighting rage was practically awash with regeneration enzymes? It had been hard enough for earthmen to see kung fight on with their flesh, healing like boiling wax. I do not trust this creature. Grab him. Silver shot out an arm and caught Svandor by his scaly tail. With the other hand she unwrapped a length of cable from her waist and knotted it several times around the creature's neck. Svandor screeched. Where are you? Soignatore, unsore, dilapidatore, he began. Shut up, advised Marco, taking the other end of the cable from Silver. Already? Soon people will overcome their fears. They rose quickly. Marco hovered fifty metres up and looked down at the demon, a tall shadow in the moonlight. Svandor shrugged. 
the big wings unfolded. I shall require a run to take off. Kin watched Marco bob above him as the demon loped across the ground, the wide wings rattling. Halfway across he brought them down with a whoomp that threw up a dust cloud, and he hung there for several seconds while the wings hammered in the air. Then he rose ponderously like a giant heron. When he was level with them, but a hundred metres away, he took a length of cable in his talons. Farewell, fools! he bellowed and tugged. A look of dismay crept over his face. With the belt's lateral stabilizers full on, Marco hung immovable in the air. When he reeled in the line, no amount of wing flapping could budge him. When the horned head was just a few meters away, the Kung whispered, I'm told you can read minds. Only surface thought, Lord. Read mine. After a second, Svandor's face was a mask of terror. With the creature in tow, they moved slowly, because the wide wings acted as an airbrake. The demon held a loop of cable in both hands and glided behind them unsteadily, peppering them alternately with entreaties and curses. The smoke no longer dominated the sky. It was the sky. Winds in the upper air had teased it out into a ragged mushroom. Apart from the background noise behind them, they flew in silence, Kin and Silver following a little behind Marco. Finally, Kin's radio chimed. This is Silver, transmitting on your suit frequency only, Kin. You had something to say. If you move the switch to position four, Marco will not hear, the voice added. Silver, he slaughtered them. They didn't have a chance. Silver made a non-committal noise. They outnumbered him ten to one. They weren't expecting a kung, damn it. Kin felt the bottled-up words rushing to be said. He enjoyed it. You saw him. He even killed ones who were running away. He threw... Their only crime was that they happened to be in his way. It was completely inhu... She choked on the word. After a while, Silver said, Quite. Kin thought about the first contact with the kung. Men had already met the shandy, who, apart from their duelling, had no concept of warfare and viewed mankind's ragged history with barely concealed horror. So the first ship to land on Kung had no weapons aboard at all. Five deaths served to convince men that, considered on the galactic scale, they were gentle and peace-loving. Perhaps it had been worth it. We all think we understand each other, Kin heard Silver say. We eat together, we trade. Many of us pride ourselves on having alien friends. But all this is only possible, only possible, Kin, because we do not fully comprehend the other. You've studied Earth history. Do you think you could understand the workings of the mind of a Japanese warrior a thousand years ago? But he is as a twin to you compared with Marco, or with myself. When we use the word cosmopolitan, we use it too lightly. It's flippant. It means we're galactic tourists who communicate in superficialities. We don't comprehend. Different worlds, kin. Different anvils of gravity and radiation and evolution. If that winged creature is used to reading human minds, no wonder Marco's terrified it. Marco's voice cut in, spiky with suspicion. What are you two talking privately about? Female hygiene, said Silver crisply. Marco, shouldn't we land again? We should interrogate this creature. I agree. I will watch for a suitable site. I am sorry to have interrupted your conversation. There was a click as he switched out. 
there was a noise that might have been a shand chuckling. Then Silver said, There is another minor matter, Kin. Are ravens a very common bird? Hmm? I don't think so. Why? There has been one in the sky ever since we left Eirik. Sometimes it merely tags behind. Sometimes it flies a parallel course. It could be just coincidence, said Kin doubtfully. We've been flying at well over a hundred miles an hour at times, Kin. Good grief! You mean it's keeping up with us? Yes. Now don't try and find it. It's well beyond human visual range, as it doubtless intends. It's only by accident I saw it once or twice, and then I started watching for it. At the moment I'm thinking in terms of a small flying robot. There was the raven in the ship, said Kin. It got out of the box, remember? And before that it had arrived mysteriously at Kung Top. But we killed it in vacuum, didn't we? I wonder if we did. They passed over a village where the only movement was in the flames of a burning house, and Marco cut in briefly to tell Kin to take Svandor's teller while he went lower to investigate. The demon hung a few metres away, wings pounding the air heavily. In the early morning light Kin looked at him closely for the first time. She looked again. There was no doubt about it. He was fuzzy around the edges. I see it too, said Silver, as if it's slightly out of focus. How odd! Svandor regarded them sullenly. Do you mean to kill me? he whimpered. Not unless you attempt to do us harm, said Kin. That skinny one, the Kali armed, he wishes to kill me. That's just his general wish to the universe in general, not specific to you, said Kin. I wouldn't let him harm you. I will implore Berith to give you gold. Trezole I shall summon to make your beauty even more. Marco was a dot on what, if it had been more than just a muddy open space, would have been called the village square. That place is empty, came his voice, unless you count corpses. They tethered Svandor to a post in what had been the village forge. Kin touched his skin gingerly, and under her fingers the demon appeared to be vibrating like a wine glass in a concert hall. Touching what looked like skin felt like fur, sticky with static. A puzzle. She dozed off in the shade, watching silver strip panels off the dumbwaiter and take the workshop manual from its drawer. When she awoke the sun was high, and waiter modules were stacked neatly in the dust. Silver was half visible behind a pile of panels. Through half-closed eyelids, Kin watched Svandor. He was hopping around anxiously on his tether, sometimes darting forward and passing a tool to the shand. When Silver's hand came out and groped in the air over a makeshift brazier for the soldering iron she'd made out of a piece of scrap copper, Svandor reached into the coals and withdrew the rod by its glowing end, laying the other carefully in Silver's black palm. He'd just picked up a piece of red-hot iron, said Kin. Hot end first. Silver looked at her blankly, then looked at Svandor, then at the rod in her hand, then shrugged and turned back to the waiter's innards with a preoccupied air. It is a function of demons that they can withstand heat, came her muffled voice. How's the waiter? Only superficial damage, but you know how it is. One has to remove half the machinery just to reach one wire. I've nearly finished. Kin stood up, stretched, and wandered out into the square. She remembered something and looked up at the sky. There is a raven perched on the big stone building over yonder, said Silver behind her. Do you think it's some sort of spy? What do you think? I think it's some sort of spy, 
That's what I think. Kin turned round. Where's Marco? she asked. It's time we interrogated Wrinklebelly here. I plead. Silver slotted the last module into the dumbwaiter and started to clip the panels back before answering. He said he was going to have a look round. I told him about the raven. Kin shook her head. Not clever, she said. Now he'll want to catch it. Svandor could tell us more, about matter transmission for one thing. Silver glanced up sharply, then looked at the demon. He cringed. The Shand walked over and stared at him, which made him attempt to shuffle behind the pole. Finally, she took a magnifier out of the waiter's toolkit and held it against his skin. Commendable reasoning, she said at last. What gave you the idea, Kin? He shouldn't be able to fly, even with chest muscles like that, and at that weight he should have legs like an elephant. And there's the fuzziness, of course, and the slight vibration. Silver switched off the magnifier. I imagine the fuzziness is due to a malfunction in the transmitter, she said. Well, well, it's a neat solution to the transmission problem, I'll give them that. Very neat. Frankly, Kin, you can stuff the disc. It's just a toy, a nasty toy, but this is something worth having. Right, let's find Marco. They found him inside the stone building that dominated the village. At one end of it was a square tower, but he was standing like a statue in the gloom of the main hall. He turned as they came in, and in two of his hands were a pair of long candlesticks. What's this place? asked Kin, staring up into the shadowy roof. A house of religion, I think, said the Kung. I was considering investigating the tower. There appears to be a stairway inside. He was unnaturally cheerful, and looked at her in an odd way. The view from the top should be extensive. We could plan the rest of the day's flight without putting a further drain on the belt's batteries. But the belts are perfectly— Kin began and stopped. Marco was semaphoring wildly with his two free arms. We must conserve our power! Echoes bounced back from the depths of the building. He looked at Kin and pressed a finger to his lips for silence. Stay here, Silver, he said. I want to show Kin this carving. But when she went to step forward, he pressed her back with one hand and walked away alone. He moved the two candlesticks expertly. It sounded as though two people were walking across the floor. He's going really mad this time, Kin thought. Silver was smiling to herself. Marco came back. Now let's all go up the tower, he said. This way, folks. He handed the sticks to Kin and pointed to the further end of the hall, then soft-footed it towards the open door. They saw him flatten himself against the wall. Well, let's go, said Kin weakly, and started swinging the sticks. There was some difficulty in getting Silver up the winding staircase at the far end, and Kin felt a real fool helping two sticks to climb stairs. Learn something very interesting about the demon, Marco, said Silver. Then she replied in a remarkable impersonation of a kung. What was that, Silver? Well, you know, matter transformation has been tried and doesn't work. Well, it does on the disc. How do you mean? Ken noticed it. Tell him, Ken. I'd better join in, she decided. Otherwise they'll think I'm nuts. What I mean, they. The company put a lot of research into straight matter transmission, she said. In theory, it ought to work. It's a logical extension of strata machine or dumb waiter operation. Trouble is, it takes power. Far too much and the best anyone managed was a two-millisecond displacement. 
then the subject just snapped back to the here. Aye, I heard about that, said Silver in Marco's voice. The continuum is very anti-sneaky stuff, like matter transmission. Star-hopping it has to put up with, because we go through the elsewhere, but straight teleportation is like trying to throw away a ball that's tied to your hand by elastic. Yes, there seem to be rules that say you stick to your predestined space-time point. What's that got to do with the demon? He's transmitted. Something transmits him out maybe a hundred times a second, just as fast as the continuum snaps him back. That's how he can fly. They just move the focus of the transmitters. He's here. He can see and hear and touch. But he's not here. I don't know why he stays tied up, she added as an afterthought. They could move him outside the ropes. Then the sooner we get back, there was a scream. End of Side 8